as you've been pastoring for, you know, I don't know, 20 plus years now or almost 20, almost 20 years. Um, mm. Are there any moments where you definitely felt though that there was significant progress or you felt really hopeful? I mean, you, you use a phrase that like, you know, the black community has had to hold fast to hope, but mm. were there ever moments in your life where you're just like, wow, I really see that the church and it's not just one you know, ethnic minority church, but the church is actually making headway. And then um, it's really encouraged by that or, or other moments where you're just like, Jesus, come back. This ain't going to happen. Like I give up. I'm going to tap out MMA style. Like <laughs> that's, that's what I, that's, that's how I mostly feel on most days. <laughs> it's just like, come Lord Jesus. Yeah. Uh, I've been tapping for a long time. Come, <laughs> come Lord Jesus. Um, you know, I, I would say the, in terms of the moments where I feel um, hopeful or feel like progress is being made. Honestly, I think we're living in that, in one of those moments right now. Th mm -hmm. This moment feels unusual to me um, in the sort of um, wide number of people who seem to get it and, 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 uh, you know, are taken to the streets, are praying, are buying and reading books and having conversations with people in their church with their neighbors uh, who are who are endeavoring to actually uh, put their feet on the ground and and march and and uh, work for a more just society? I don't know that there's ever been in the history of the country, exception perhaps of um, parts of abolitionism and parts of the civil rights movement, mm -hmm. where there has been this kind of um, recognition and engagement. So I actually think this is this right now is a time to be hopeful, um, tremendously hopeful. The fact that we're having this conversation with Sola, uh, there's the Asian American Christian Collaborative, uh, there, there are other sort of efforts, in, again, in multiple sort of ethnic groups and denominational groups and, and what have you to, to work together um, toward a more just world. Uh, that that feels new to me, and and when you see that not just in a U.S. context, mm. but you see people across the world, yeah. um, sort of under the banner of of Black Lives Mattering, yeah. uh, and um, calling for justice and an end to racism, that that's as far as I know, that's never happened in the history of the world. Yeah. You know that in the aftermath of, of George Floyd's killing. You not only have protests across U.S. cities, but across Europe and in Australia and uh, in in Asian countries. I mean, just it's just like, okay, this is new. Yeah, and I think it's cause to be hopeful. It needs to be stewarded, uh, particularly Christian participation, and it. it needs to be stewarded carefully. Um, but it does feel like uh, reason to hope. And I say that as a guy who, if you had been reaching out to me three years ago, two and a half years ago. I think I would have confessed to you that my my main sin, my entangling sin at that point, was a certain kind of hopelessness. Mm. Um, and so, I'm I'm encouraged right now. I, I still think there's a lot, a lot to do. And the reactionary voices that oppose justice uh, have grown louder uh, as 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 more progress has been evident. Um, but um, nevertheless, I think those voices have grown louder because they recognize actually. That, that change, we're on the cusp of some change and we're on the cusp of some progress that for whatever reason makes them feel threatened. Yeah, absolutely, thank you. That's, that's, that's powerful. Um, there's a lot of language now for like, what does it mean to be an ally, uh, a non-black ally 
And um, I think, you know, there, there's, we need to consider what does it mean to be an advocate on things like that? Do you have any like guidelines or just words of encouragement or things like that for an Asian American or a non-black uh, yeah. church community to uh, consider? In- yeah, well, first, I mean, first of all, I, this, this too is one of the things that feels fresh and feels new to me yeah. is to see a number of Asian American groups and individuals um, speaking up and engaging in things and to see more uh, collaboration and conversation between African-American groups and Asian-American groups um, about even our own dynamics, right, mm-hmm. uh, historically and whatnot. I think that's just really significant and really positive. I'm really grateful for that. So I think allyship ship, and solidarity begins with that kind of conversation and that kind of uh, getting to know each other. That's important. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think, I think of Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, Right. Speak up for the for the vulnerable. Speak up for those who are, who are marginalized. Yeah. Um, so we need to not only talk to each other, but we then need to talk up in advocacy yeah. uh, toward those who have some influence or some power, some authority uh, for change and to hold them accountable. And so we want to translate our relationship into um, advocacy of some sort. The, the third thing I think I would say uh, in the way of expressing um, uh, solidarity and, and being allies is I, I do think that it's helpful for us all to learn the language of lament uh, and to mourn together, to weep together, to cultivate Christian empathy uh, in a world that, in a church world that, um, today and historically have, have, have lacked it. And so to enter into each other's um, suffering, to enter into each other's pain, to enter into each other's weeping, um, not all the things that go on really need a, a sort of policy lo- solution or need some other kind of redress. Sometimes, you know, the most effective work is to be Job's friends before they started talking, right? Just to sit, to mm. sit for several days and 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 just be in it together, um, and so that too I think is is tremendously healing, uh, particularly on the ground where we have real relationships with one another. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, uh, I do want to have a, a great gospel question and a gospel sure. discussion, and so as you know, as you as you preach and teach and and, and yeah, live centered on the gospel. Uh, how would you just say that? How does the gospel uniquely compel us towards uh, biblical justice to pursue it, uh, but then also sustain us um, in the face of injustice, you know, in those times of despair and hopelessness? uh, How does the gospel sustain us? And so that's a great question. Well, you know, I think of Romans 3, 21 and 26, which I think Leon Morris called the most important paragraph, you know, ever written in in human language or uh, translated into the English language. Uh, where, where God there is just and the justifier uh, of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. So that, that is getting right at justification. It's getting right at the heart of the gospel. Uh, it's getting right at the character of God. Mm. Why? Paul's solving a conundrum there, that, that God has left some things unpunished, right? And it, it seems like he's unjust because he hasn't been swift in his punishment. Um, and Paul is helping us to understand, no, his patience is meant to lead us to repentance. And guess what? No, he is just. He's going to be a justifier of those who believe in Christ Jesus. Uh, but he's also going to be a just judge in the end for those who disobey the gospel, who reject Jesus. 
Um, and so our, our hope is anchored not again in some kind of scorecard about which policies we get passed or which practices get changed or what have you. Our, our hope is anchored in this, this just God and his character and his gospel, which satisfies justice, all, all of his just demands, either in terms of Christ's own crucifixion in our place um, to suffer for our sins, uh, or in terms of God's um, accurate and holy and right um, judgment of those who will stand in their own sins apart from Christ. And so justice will be served, and justice will be eternal, and and we are barreling toward we're barreling toward that day, and we need to keep our eyes on that. So that's that's how it that's how it gives us hope. But now at the same time, it propels us if we understand the gospel and and we are in fact just people. Mm-hmm. It propels us to act justly. Yeah. So Jesus tells this great this well known parable right of the of the good Samaritan. And uh, we know that story. We know that the Samaritans dealing with the man on the, on the road, left for dead, robbed, uh, how he cared for him and paid for his bills at the hotel inn and, and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But Jesus tells that, um, he tells that parable in, rea- in response to the question of justification. Uh, uh, someone comes to him, uh, asks him what he must be, you know, to be saved. Jesus answers the question. The man, the man, the Bible says, wanting to justify himself. As who is my neighbor, and so Jesus, I think, in telling that story, is telling us that justification is is not merely um, a, a sort of academic theological uh, doctrine. It is a theological doctrine, yeah. but you see it in the way in which people behave justly. That justification leads to just living, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, and so the gospel and a right standing with God ought to propel us toward right standing with neighbor uh, and, and right standing with others, which we normally call justice. Yeah. And the gospel, of course, propels us to pray. So now we go over to Luke 18, is it? Um, the, the persistent widow. Mm-hmm. You know, it, Jesus, again, tells a parable about a widow who's been wrong. She's got an enemy, and she keeps going to this judge who fears neither God uh, nor man, doesn't care about anybody. Yep. And she just keeps going to this judge, keeps going to this judge. The judge like, I'm going to lose my mind if this woman don't leave me alone. I better, I better give her justice. Right. Now, that parable starts out uh, with Jesus' disciples um, needing to be taught how to pray. Mm. And so he tells his parable, you ought to pray this way. Yeah. But it's interesting, the punchline of the parable doesn't come back to prayer. The punchline of the parable is God shall give justice to his elect. Yep. Right? And so I, I think that gives us hope and that sustains us, this, this mm-hmm. certainty that, that, that God is going to be just in dealing with his chosen people. He's going to be just in the world. And, and we should, like that widow, just keep praying for justice. We do our best work for justice on our knees. Yeah. Um, and, and so we should be praying for justice and pleading persistently, uh, knowing that God is not grudging in giving it. He may not be on our timing, but, but he's not grudging in giving it. And he's going to give it in full. Uh, and uh, so those are the kinds of things I think should give us hope because our God's throne is established in righteousness, is established in justice. Um, he's given us entire books of the Bible that are meant to teach us uh, how to live uh, with equity and fairness and righteousness and justice, like the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 1.3 says that. 
Um, and so, you know, he's equipping us and calling us to do this work uh, because it does reveal his heart and it, and it does, it does comport with the gospel itself. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that is good. We do our best work of justice on our knees. That's uh, such mm-hmm. a great, great reminder. Um, well, do you think many people don't realize that, for example, the civil rights movement, we, we focus on the marches and the sit-ins, yeah. but many people don't realize that it actually was a prayer movement. Mm. There, there was just significant amounts of prayer uh, before there was a march, before there was a demonstration or a sit-in, yeah. um, that this is actually a Christian movement uh, in its character. Um, sadly, it has Christian it had Christian opponents too, uh, but it was a Christian movement, and it was bathed in prayer. And uh, I, I read recently of Coretta Scott King reflecting on the civil rights movement, Dr. King's uh, widow, and she was reflecting on um, just how how important prayer was and how much it was stressed and how much they did. Um, and I think we need to regain that as a Christian people. Oh yeah. That's huge. Well, I mean, speaking of, you know, the civil rights movement that, you know, in my limited study, it did, whether it was a gospel movement, I know you blogged on that with the TGC and, you know, that can be, you know, a question, but it was definitely a Christian movement and it was spearheaded uh, with prayer and worship and preaching and the scriptures. Um, we don't have that today. You know, mm-hmm. we have BLM and mm-hmm. we understand that there's BLM, the statement, BLM, the organization, there's conflict for Christians to participate in it, you know, like in the marches and X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, just how, how do you communicate that and like lead your church um, mm-hmm. in navigating with, Christian gospel motivations, but kind of going back in, but a secular movement for justice, secular cries and participation. Like, what does that look like? How do you steward that? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. If I be just frank with you, I think a lot of the the sort of consternation about Black Lives Matter, the organization, uh, is just a straw man. It's it's Mm. just a boogeyman. Mm. Um, When I think about Christians who care about this, like none of them are involved in a BLM chapter. None of them are signed on to some organizational um, set of points or, or uh, objectives. Mm. Um, and so I actually think that a lot of the energy given to debating, you know, do they want to destroy the nuclear family and all that good stuff is a massive distraction. Mm. Um, and that participation in marches or justice or things of that sort they're like not. They're not like the only game in town, mm. and and most of the Christians I know who have uh, organized marches and participated, none of them have done that with Black Lives Matter mm. um, march. That that uh, several sisters in our church and another church here in the city organized. We didn't do that with BLM. Mm. We cooperated with the AND campaign, another Christian organization, uh, yeah. trying to help disciple Christians to think um, not in bifurcated ways, but in holistic, biblical ways about our public witness. Uh, we did that with 20 other churches. Um, and um, that, wasn't, that wasn't Black Lives Matter. That was mm. Christians saying Black Lives Matter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, so I think that, that people who are feeling a lot of consternation about this Aunt, oughtn't, shouldn't. Um, the folks who make the most out of that organization are folks who actually are arguing in opposition to the movement that's that's underfoot right now. And I think that's telling that they are arguing in opposition to the movement, using that organization as a scarecrow 
um, while not while not themselves offering an, al- an alternative. Yeah. Right, that's the telltale sign. Yeah, um, it'd be one thing if they were saying, "Hey, we're out here doing this thing twenty four seven. Come join us and leave that other thing alone." Yeah, you know, no, they're just actually wanting you to stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't want you to be better. They want you to stop. And actually, I think if you are if you are motivated by the gospel and you're convicted by the Holy Spirit to to lean into this, you you, you know, woe to you if you stop. You know, you should keep going as long as the Lord um, calls you to keep going. So I would say to those Christians, uh, as we said before, in terms of working in secular spaces, stay tethered to your church, mm-hmm. stay tethered to your Bible, uh, make sure that you are evaluating things uh, through the teaching of the scripture. And then I would say, uh, find the things that are being led and organized by Christians that you trust. Mm. There's lots of things out there. Uh, and, and if you can't find something, organize something. Um, you know, pull together other like-minded folks from your congregation, uh, other like-minded Christians from your fellowship network, and, and, and do something, you know, in your own agency. God has given us agency. We're mm. free to do that. Uh, and so do that. We don't, we don't have to make common cause with secular organizations because their names are popular or some such thing. Um, we should get out there on our own regard uh, and do the work. Oh, man. That, I mean, you just answered the next question that I was going to ask. Just like advice, encouragement for young, you know, young Christians who are you know, new to the game. Um, who are getting woke or whatever it might be. Uh, and yeah, but just like on top of that, just like looking, you know, staying tethered to the local church, uh, looking to partner with Christian organizations, knowing that BLM isn't the only game in town. I, I think that's huge. Or having the, the courage um, and resourcefulness to, to start their own. Um, any other things? Like, I mean, like I shared earlier, like your first two, do- your first two kids, they're right in our uh, demographic with Sola. Mm-hmm post-college, in college, are there any other things that you kind of like tell them to encourage them? You say, slow down, you know, like whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're they're both smarter than their dad. So Mm. I'm mostly learning from them. Um, But, but one thing, one other thing I would, I would say um, is not so much a strategy. I think it goes to identity. Mm. Um, I think you, you want to be really pretty secure in who you are in Christ. And, and I think that's really important for two reasons. One, there, there are sort of worldly currents that, that will sort of take you on out to the sea of worldliness if, if you're not anchored, right? And then secondly, there are, there are sort of Christian voices that will um, use all kinds of uh, disparaging comments and pejorative labels again, to try and, and, and sort of bully you into stopping, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you talk about woke, so there, there are folks who are like, oh, woke and um, CRT and, and mm-hmm. intersect, you know, you just blame you being a Marxist and all kinds of things. Yeah. Now, what helps you immensely when you've got sort of worldly undertow on one side and you've got professing Christian um, scoffing and mocking and ridicule on the other side, mm-hmm. what helps you immensely to know that you're rooted in Christ and know who you are and whose you are uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I think above all things, you know, put on Christ and, and be rooted and grounded in him, uh, be built up in him. And, and he'll, you'll be building your life on the rock. And when the winds and the waves come, uh, you'll stand 
And, and that's what we want to see happen. So I, I would encourage folks to, to take their youth and not, not, not get all sort of enamored with the glittery things that are happening in the world, but, but be really enamored with Jesus and, and build your life into him, be rooted in him. And um, then you'll be able to withstand all the stuff that's happening around you. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Um, can I ask one last question? Oh, this has been such an awesome uh, talk. I've, I've absolutely enjoyed it. Um, you know, we, we can preach, talk about racial re- reconciliation. We can look towards uh, revelation and vision of that multi-ethnic, multi-people uh, group. Uh, yeah, community, family of God gathered together, bowing down before Christ. Um, but, you know, you're now pastoring a predominantly African-American church. I pastor a predominantly Asian-American church. Mm-hmm. Are we, you know, are we keeping Sunday morning, like, you know, as the most segregated hour in America? Are we, um, no. do we have tension that we need to work out with as far as like not participating in racial reconciliation? What, what are some of your thoughts on that? No, because white people can come join our church. We have white members. Right. We have Asian members. We, get, we got a, a couple of Hispanic members. We have folks from the Caribbean and Africa. Um, I'm reacting that way because I think when that question most often gets asked, yeah. it presumes people traveling in one direction. Mm. It presumes all of us ethnic folk traveling in the direction of predominantly white congregations or, or spaces. And almost never do people think that that our white brothers and sisters should be traveling the other course, you know, into predominantly African, predominantly predominantly Asian spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that needs to be challenged, right? Because if if it is, we're preaching the same gospel, we're worshiping the same Jesus, yeah. we're not trying to have churches that are sort of ethnic and cultural enclaves, which means we want churches that are welcoming to people who reflect the diversity of the kingdom of God, we're all sort of, if we're all sort of aiming for that, then at least conceptually, we all ought to be comfortable joining the church that's closest to our house, Mm. right? Not driving past four Korean churches to get to an African-American church or a white church or what have you, not driving past three gospel preaching black churches to get to a Korean, you know, and so on. Um, When we do that, that's usually indicative that something else besides Jesus is, is kind of being valued uh, and sought after. Now, it may not be sinful to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there may, in fact, be times and seasons where doing that is for our own spiritual health. So right now, we're seeing lots of people leave uh, predominantly white churches to go to uh, sort of ethnic churches, other spaces, where they feel safer, mm-hmm. where, where they feel cared for and shepherded spiritually, yeah. where they feel taught and shaped as disciples to bear faithful witness in the culture, because in the churches that they're leaving, it's been sort of anti that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get that. I don't think that's wrong. Uh, I wish it wasn't the case or it didn't have to be the case, but um, it does seem to be the case. And I don't think it's wrong to seek a place where actually the community of God's people are restorative and refreshing and, and um, safe. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I would just want to say um, we, we may have ethnic churches until Jesus comes back. And, and, and that, too, is happening under his sovereign control of the church. And um, we, can, we can long for greater unity, and we should, 
Ephesians 4, 3, we should do everything to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Uh, so we should work for it. <clears throat> but honestly, you can't, you, you can't tie a rope with one hand, right? So if, if we want a relationship that's sort of knotted tight, then we've, we've got to have people, you know, on both sides of the rope pulling the knot tight. You can't, you can't, you can't make a knot with one hand. And, um, and so we're just going to need many more of our white brothers and sisters to pick up the other side of the rope, help us tie the knot tight, um, and do the kinds of things that, that they need to do as, as a matter of their own discipleship uh, to be people who genuinely and selflessly give themselves to that. Thank you so much. That's so good. That's the meeting. I hope we can do a, a, a solo front porch Anytime. collaboration. We'll, we'll make some knots of our own. All right. That, that'll Let's be a joy, this. man. We should, we should get that in. It's cracking. <laughs> um, hey, Solo Network, thank you so much for watching. Um, please uh, like, comment, share. That really helps us uh, get into spaces, get into the headspace, and, and uh, promote our material. So that makes all the difference. Uh, thanks for watching, and God bless.